Chapter Forty of Queechy by Susan Warner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Arlene Stebbins. Chapter Forty: A Thorn Enters. Zeal was the spring whence flowed her hardiment. Fairfax. Barbie undid bolt and lock, and Fleda met the traveller in the hall. She was a lady. Her air and dress showed that, though the latter was very plain. "'Does Mr. Rossiter live here?' was her first word. Fleda answered it, and brought her visitor into the sitting-room. But the light falling upon a form and face that had seen more wear and tear than time gave her no clue as to the who or what of the person before her. The stranger's hurried look round the room seemed to expect something. "'Are they all gone to bed?' "'All but me.' said Fleda. We have been delayed. We took a wrong road. We've been riding for hours to find the place. Hadn't the right direction. Then looking keenly at Fleda, from whose vision an electric spark of intelligence had scattered the clouds, she said, I am Marian Rossiter. I knew it, said Fleda, with lips and eyes that gave her already a sister's welcome, and they were folded in each other's arms almost as tenderly and affectionately, on the part of one at least as if there had really been the relationship between them. But more than surprise and affection struck Fleda's heart. "'And where are they all, Fleda? Can't I see them?' "'You must wait till I have prepared them. Hugh and Aunt Lucy are not very well. I don't know that it will do for you to see them at all to-night, Marian.' "'Not to-night. They are not ill.' "'No, only to be taken care of, not ill. But it would be better to wait.' "'And my father?' He is not at home. Marian exclaimed in sorrow, and Fleda, to hide the look that she felt was on her face, stooped down to kiss the child. He was a remarkably fine-looking, manly boy. "'This is your cousin Fleda,' said his mother. "'No, Aunt Fleda,' said the person thus introduced. "'Don't put me off into cousindom, Marian. I am Uncle Hugh's sister, and so I am your Aunt Fleda. Who are you?' "'Rolf Rossiter Schwiden. Alas, how wide are the ramifications of evil! How was what might have been very pure pleasure utterly poisoned and turned into bitterness? It went through Fleda's heart with a keen pang when she heard that name, and looked on the very fair brow that owned it, and thought of the ineffaceable stain that had come upon both. She dared look at nobody but the child. He already understood the melting eyes that were making acquaintance with his— and half felt the pain that gave so much tenderness to her kiss, and looked at her with a grave face of awakening wonder and sympathy. Fleda was glad to have business to call her to the kitchen. "'Who is it?' was Barbie's immediate question. "'Aunt Lucy's daughter.' "'She don't look much like her,' said Barbie intelligently. "'They will want something to eat, Barbie. I'll put the kettle on. It'll boil directly. I'll go in there and fix up the fire.' A word or two more, and then Fleda ran up to speak to her aunt and Hugh. Her aunt she found in a state of agitation that was frightful. Even Fleda's assurances with all the soothing arts she could bring to bear were some minutes before they could in any measure tranquillize her. Fleda's own nerves were in no condition to stand another shock when she left her and went to Hugh's door. But she could get no answer from him, though she spoke repeatedly. She did not return to her aunt's room. She went downstairs and brought up Barbie and a light from thence. Hugh was lying senseless and white, 
not whiter than his adopted sister as she stood by his side. Her eye went to her companion. "'Not a bit of it,' said Barbie. "'He's in nothing but a faint. Just run downstairs and get the vinegar bottle, Fleda. The pepper vinegar. Is there any water here?' Fleda obeyed and watched. She could do little more. The efforts of Barbie, who indeed needed no help, with the cold water, the vinegar, and rubbing of the limbs. They were for some time unsuccessful. The fit was a severe one and Fleda was exceedingly terrified before any signs of returning life came to reassure her. "'Now you go downstairs and keep quiet,' said Barbie, when Hugh was fairly restored and had smiled a faint answer to Fleda's kiss and explanations. "'Go, Fleda, you ain't fit to stand. Go and sit down some place, and I'll be along directly and see how the fire burns. Don't you suppose Miss Rossiter could come in and sit in this easy chair a spell without hurting herself?' It occurred to Fleda immediately that it might do more good than harm to her aunt if her attention were diverted even by another cause of anxiety. She gently summoned her, telling her no more than was necessary to fit her for being Hugh's nurse, and in a very few minutes she and Barbie were at liberty to attend to other claims upon them. But it sank into her heart, Hugh will not get over this, and when she entered the sitting-room, what Mr. Carleton years before had said of the wood-flower was come true in its fullest extent. A storm-wind had beaten it to the ground. She was able literally to do no more than Barbie had said, sit down and keep herself quiet. Miss Elster was in her briskest mood, flew in and out, made up the fire in the sitting-room, and put on the kettle in the kitchen, which she had been just about doing when called to see Hugh. The much-needed supper of the travellers must still be waited for but the fire was burning now, the room was cosily warm and bright, and Marian drew up her chair with a look of thoughtful contentment. Fleda felt as if some conjurer had been at work here for the last few hours. The room looked so like, and felt so unlike, itself. "'Are you going to be ill, too, Fleda?' said Marian suddenly. "'You are looking very far from well.' "'I shall have a headache to-morrow,' said Fleda quietly. "'I generally know the day beforehand.' "'Does it always make you look so?' "'Not always. I am somewhat tired.' "'Where is my father gone?' "'I don't know. Rolf, dear,' said Fleda, bending forward to the little fellow who was giving expression to some very fidgety impatience. "'What is the matter? What do you want?' The child's voice fell a little from its carelessness towards the sweet key in which the questions had been put. But he gave utterance to a very decided wish for bread and butter." "'Come here,' said Fleda, reaching out a hand and drawing him in, certainly with no force but that of attraction, towards her easy-chair. "'Come here and rest yourself in this nice place by me. See, there is plenty of room for you, and you shall have bread and butter and tea and something else, too, I guess, just as soon as Barbie can get it ready.' "'Who is Barbie?' was the next question, in a most uncompromising tone of voice. "'You saw the woman that came in to put the wood on the fire.' That was Barbie. She is very good and kind, and will do anything for you if you behave yourself. The child muttered, but so low as to show some unwillingness that his words should reach the ears that were nearest him, that he wasn't going to behave himself. Fleda did not choose to hear, and went on with composing observations, till the fair little face she had drawn to her side was as bright as the sun, and returned her smile with interest. "'You have an admirable talent at moral suasion, Fleda,' said the mother, half-smiling. "'I wish I had it. "'You don't need it so much here.' "'Why not?' 
"'It may do very well for me, but I think not so well for you.' "'Why, what do you mean? I think it is the only way in the world to bring up children, the only way fit for rational beings to be guided.' Fleda smiled, though the faintest indication that lips could give, and shook her head, ever so little. "'Why do you do that? Tell me.' "'Because in my limited experience,' said Fleda, as she passed her fingers through the boy's dark locks of hair, "'in every household where moral suasion has been the law, the children have been the administrators of it.' "'Where is your husband?' "'I have lost him, years ago,' said Marian, with a quick expressive glance toward the child. "'I never lost what I at first thought I had, for I never had it. Do you understand?' Fleda's eyes gave a sufficient answer. I am a widow, these five years, in all but what the law would require, Marian went on. I have been alone since then, except my child. He was two years old then, and since then I have lived such a life, Fleda. Why didn't you come home? Couldn't. The most absolute reason in the world. Think of it, come home, was as much as I could do to stay there. Those sympathizing eyes were enough to make her go on. I have wanted everything, except trouble. I have done everything, except ask alms. I have learned, Fleda, that death is not the worst form in which distress can come. Fleda felt stung, and bent down her head to touch her lips to the brow of little Rolf. Death would have been such a trifle, said Marian. I mean, not that I should have wished to leave Rolf alone in the world, but if I had been left, I mean, I would rather wear outside than inside mourning. Fleda looked up again, and at her. "'Oh, I was so mistaken, Fleda,' she said, clasping her hands, "'so mistaken in everything, so disappointed in all my hopes, and the loss of my fortune was the cause of it all.' "'Nay, verily,' thought Fleda, but she said nothing. She hung her head again, and Marian, after a pause, went on to question her about an endless string of matters concerning themselves and other people past doings and present prospects, to little Rolf soothed by the uninteresting soft murmur of voices, fairly forgot bread and butter and himself in a sound sleep, his head resting upon Fleda. "'Here is one comfort for you, Marian,' she said, looking down at the dark eyelashes which lay on a cheek rosy and healthy as ever seven years old knew. He is a beautiful child, and I am sure a fine one.' "'It is thanks to his beauty that I have ever seen home again,' said his mother. Fleda had no heart this evening to speak words that were not necessary. Her eyes asked Marian to explain herself. "'He was in Hyde Park one day. I had a miserable lodging not far from it, and I used to let him go there, because he must go somewhere, you know. I couldn't go with him.' "'Why not?' "'Couldn't. Oh, Fleda, I have seen changes.' He was there one afternoon alone, and had got into difficulty with some bigger boys. A little fellow, you know. He stood his ground manfully, but his strength wasn't equal to his spirit, and they were tyrannizing over him after the fashion of boys, who I think are the ugliest creatures in creation," said Madame Schweiden, not apparently recognizing her own to be of the same gender. And a gentleman who was riding by stopped and interfered, and took him out of their hands, and then asked him his name struck, I suppose, with his appearance. Very kind, wasn't it? Men so seldom bother themselves about what becomes of children. I suppose there were thousands of others riding by at the same time. Very kind, Fleda said. 
When he heard what his name was, he gave his horse to his servant and walked home with Rolf, and the next day he sent me a note speaking of having known my father and mother and asking permission to call upon me. I was never so mortified, I think, in my life, said Marian after a moment's hesitation. Why? said Fleda, not a little at a loss to follow out the chain of her cousin's reasoning. Why, I was in such a sort of a place— you don't know, Fleda. I was working then for a fancy storekeeper to support myself, living in a miserable little two rooms. If it had been a stranger, I wouldn't have cared so much, but somebody that had known us in different times. I hadn't a thing in the world to answer the note upon but a half-sheet of letter-paper. Fleda's lips sought Rolf's forehead again with a curious rush of tears and smiles at once. Perhaps Marian had caught the expression of her countenance for she added with a little energy. "'It is nothing to be surprised at. You would have felt just the same, for I knew by his note, the whole style of it, what sort of a person it must be.' "'My pride has been a good deal chastened,' Fleda said gently. "'I never want mine to be beyond minding everything,' said Marian, "'and I don't believe yours is. I don't know why in the world I did not refuse to see him. I had fifty minds to. But he had won Rolf's heart, and I was a little curious.' and it was something strange to see the face of a friend, any better one than my old landlady, so I let him come. "'Was she a friend?' said Fleda. "'If she hadn't been, I should not have lived to be here, the best soul that ever was. But still, you know, she could do nothing for me but be as kind as she could live. This was something different. So I let him come, and he came the next day.' Fleda was silent, a little wondering that Marian should be so frank with her beyond what she had ever been in former years. But as she guessed, Madame Schweiden's heart was a little opened by the joy of finding herself at home, and the absolute necessity of talking to somebody, and there was a further reason which Fleda could not judge of, in her own face and manner. Marian needed no questions, and went on again after stopping a moment. I was so glad in five minutes. I can't tell you, Fleda, that I had let him come. I forgot entirely about how I looked and the wretched place I was in. He was all that I had supposed, and a great deal more, but somehow he hadn't been in the room three minutes before I didn't care at all for all the things I had thought would trouble me. Isn't it strange what a witchery some people have to make you forget everything but themselves? The reason is, I think, because that is the only thing they forget said Fleda, whose imagination, however, was entirely busy with the singular number. "'I shall never forget him,' said Marian. "'He was very kind to me. I cannot tell you how kind, though I never realized it till afterwards. At the same time it always seemed only a sort of elegant politeness which he could not help. I never saw so elegant a person. He came two or three times to see me, and he took Rolf out with him I don't know how often, to drive.' and he sent me fruit, such fruit, and game and flowers, and I had not had anything of the kind, not even seen it for so long. I can't tell you what it was to me. He said he had known my father and mother well when they were abroad. "'What was his name?' said Fleda quickly. "'I don't know. He never told me, and I never could ask him. Don't you know there are some people you can't do anything with but just what they please?' There wasn't the least thing like stiffness. You never saw anybody less stiff. But I never dreamed of asking him questions except when he was out of sight. Why, do you know him? she said suddenly. 
"'When you tell me who he was, I'll tell you,' said Fleda, smiling. "'Have you ever heard this story before?' "'Certainly not.' "'He is somebody that knows us very well,' said Marian, "'for he asked after every one of the family in particular. "'But what had all this to do with your getting home?' "'I don't wonder you should ask.' The day after his last visit came a note saying that he owed a debt in my family which it had never been in his power to repay, that he could not give the enclosure to my father who would not recognize the obligation, and that if I would permit him to place it in my hands I should confer a singular favor upon him. And what was the enclosure? Five hundred pounds. Fleda's head went down again, and tears dropped fast upon little Rolf's shoulder. "'I suppose my pride has been a little broken, too,' Marian went on, "'or I shouldn't have kept it. "'But then, if you saw the person and the whole manner of it, "'I don't know how I could ever have sent it back. "'Literally I couldn't, though, for I hadn't the least clue. "'I never saw or heard from him afterwards.' "'When was this, Marian?' "'Last spring.' "'Last spring? Then what kept you so long?' "'Because of the arrival of eyes that I was afraid of.' I dared not make the least move that would show I could move. I came off the very first packet after I was free. "'How glad you must be!' said Fleda. "'Glad!' "'Glad of what, Mamma? said Rolf, whose dreams the entrance of Barbie had probably disturbed. "'Glad of bread and butter!' said his mother. "'Wake up! Here it is!' The young gentleman declared, rubbing his eyes, that he did not want it now. But, however, Fleda contrived to dispel that illusion, and bread and butter was found to have the same dulcifying properties at Queechy that it owns in all the rest of the world. Little Rolf was completely mollified after a hearty meal, and was put with his mother to enjoy most unbroken slumbers in Fleda's room. Fleda herself, after a look at Hugh, crept to her aunt's bed, whither Barbie very soon dispatched Mrs. Rossiter, taking her place in the armchair and the watch with most invincible goodwill and determination and sleep at last took the joys and sorrows of that disturbed household into its kind custody. Fleda was the first one awake, and was thinking how she should break the last news to her aunt when Mrs. Rossiter put her arms round her, and after a most affectionate look and kiss, spoke to what she supposed had been her niece's purpose. "'You want taking care of more than I do, poor Fleda.' "'It was not for that that I came,' said Fleda. "'I had to give up my room to the travellers.' travellers a very few words more brought out the whole and mrs rossiter sprang out of bed and rushed to her daughter's room fleda hid her face in the bed to cry for a moment's passionate indulgence in weeping while no one could see but a moment was all there was work to do and she must not disable herself she slowly got up feeling thankful that her headache did not announce itself with the dawn and that she would be able to attend to the morning affairs and the breakfast which was something more of a circumstance now with the new additions to the family. More than that she knew from sure signs she would not be able to accomplish. It was all done and done well, though with what secret flagging of mind and body nobody knew or suspected. The business of the day was arranged, Barbie's course made clear, Hugh visited and smiled upon, and then Fleda set herself down in the breakfast-room to wear out the rest of the day in patient suffering. Her little spaniel, who seemed to understand her languid step and faint tones and know what was coming, crept into her lap, and looked up at her with a face of equal truth and affection, and after a few gentle acknowledging touches from the beloved hand, 
laid his head on her knees, and silently avowed his determination of abiding her fortunes for the remainder of the day. They had been there for some hours. Mrs. Rossiter and her daughter were gathered in Hugh's room, whither Rolf, also after sundry expressions of sympathy for Fleda's headache, finding it a dull companion, had departed. Pain of body rising above pain of mind had obliged, as far as possible, even thought to be still, when a loud rap at the front door brought blood in a sudden flush of pain to Fleda's face. She knew instinctively what it meant. She heard Barbie's distinct accent saying that somebody was not well. The other voice was more smothered. But in a moment the door of the breakfast-room opened, and Mr. Thorne walked in. The intensity of the pain she was suffering effectually precluded Fleda from discovering emotion of any kind. She could not move. Only King lifted up his head and looked at the intruder, who seemed shocked, and well he might. Fleda was in her old headache position, bolt upright on the sofa, her feet on the rung of a chair while her hands supported her by their grasp upon the back of it. The flush had passed away, leaving the deadly paleness of pain, which the dark rings under her eyes showed to be well-seated. "'Miss Ringen,' said the gentleman, coming up softly as to something that frightened him, "'my dear Fleda, I am distressed. You are very ill. Can nothing be done to relieve you?' Fleda's lips rather than her voice said, "'Nothing. I would not have come in on any account to disturb you if I had known. I did not understand you were more than a trifle ill.' Fleda wished he would mend his mistake, as his understanding certainly by this time was mended. But that did not seem to be his conclusion of the best thing to do. "'Since I am here, can you bear to hear me say three words? Without too much pain, I do not ask you to speak.' A faint whispered yes gave him leave to go on. She had never looked at him. She sat like a statue. To answer by a motion of her head was more than could be risked. He drew up a chair and sat down while King looked at him with eyes of suspicious indignation. "'I am not surprised,' he said gently, "'to find you suffering. I knew how your sensibilities must feel the shock of yesterday. I would fain have spared it you.' I will spare you all further pain on the same score, if possible. Dear Miss Ringen, since I am here and time is precious, may I say one word before I cease troubling you? Take it for granted that you were made acquainted with the contents of my letter to Mrs. Rossiter. With all the contents? Were you? Again Fleda's lips almost voicelessly gave the answer. Will you give me what I ventured to ask for? He said gently. The permission to work for you? Do not trouble these precious lips to speak. The answer of these fingers would be as sure a warrant to me as all words that could be spoken that you do not deny my request. He had taken one of her hands in his own. But the fingers lay with unanswering coldness and lifelessness for a second in his clasp, and then were drawn away and took determinate hold of the chair-back. Again the flush came to Fleda's cheeks, brought by a sharp pain. Oh, bodily and mental, too! And after a moment's pause, with a distinctness of utterance that let him know every word, she said, A generous man would not ask it, sir. Thorn sprang up and several times paced the length of the room, up and down before he said anything more. He looked at Fleda, but the flush was gone again, and nothing could seem less conscious of his presence. Pain and patience were in every line of her face, 
but he could read nothing more except a calmness as unmistakably written. Thorne gave that face repeated glances as he walked, then stood still and read it at leisure. Then he came to her side again and spoke in a different voice. "'You are so unlike anybody else,' he said, "'that you shall make me unlike myself. I will do freely what I hope to do with the light of your smile before me. You shall hear no more of this affair, neither you nor the world. I have the matter perfectly in my own hands.' It shall never raise a whisper again. I will move heaven and earth rather than fail. But there is no danger of my failing. I will try to prove myself worthy of your esteem, even where a man is most excusable for being selfish. He took one of her cold hands again. Fleda could not help it without more force than she cared to use, and indeed pain would by this time almost have swallowed up every other sensation, if every word and touch had not sent it into a stronger throb to her very finger-ends. Thorn bent his lips to her hand, twice kissed it fervently, and then left her, much to King's satisfaction, who thereupon resigned himself to quiet slumbers. His mistress knew no such relief. Excitement had dreadfully aggravated her disorder, at a time when it was needful to banish even thought as far as possible. Pain effectually banished it now, and Barbie coming in a little after Mr. Thorne had gone found her quite unable to speak and scarce able to breathe, from agony. Barbie's energies and fainting remedies were again put in use, but pain reigned triumphant for hours, and when its hard rule was at last abated, Fleda was able to do nothing but sleep like a child for hours more. Towards a late tea-time she was at last awake and carrying on a very one-sided conversation with Rolf, her own lips being called upon for little more than a smile now and then. King, not able to be in her lap, had curled himself up upon a piece of his mistress's dress and as close within the circle of her arms as possible, where Fleda's hand and his head were in terms of mutual satisfaction. "'I thought you wouldn't permit a dog to lie in your lap,' said Marian. "'Do you remember that?' said Fleda, with a smile. "'Ah, I have grown tender-hearted, Marian, since I have known it was to want comfort myself. I have come to the conclusion that it is best to let everything have all the enjoyment it can in the circumstances. King crawled into my lap one day when I had not spirits enough to turn him out, and he has kept the place ever since. Little King!' in answer to which word of intelligence King looked in her face and wagged his tail, and then earnestly endeavoured to lick all her fingers, which, however, was a piece of comfort she would not give him. "'Fleda,' said Barbie, putting her head in, "'I wish you'd just step out here and tell me which cheese you'd like to have cut.' "'What a fool!' said Marian. "'Let her cut them all, if she likes.' "'She is no fool,' said Fleda. She thought Barbie's punctiliousness, however, a little ill-timed, as she rose from her sofa and went into the kitchen. "'Well, you do look as if you want good for nothing but to be taken care of,' said Barbie. "'I wouldn't have riz you up if it hadn't been just tea-time, and I knowed you couldn't stay quiet much longer.' And with a look which explained her tactics, she put into Fleda's hand a letter directed to her aunt. "'Philetus gave it to me,' she said, without a glance at Fleda's face. He said it was give to him by a spry little shaver who want a mind to tell nothing about himself. Thank you, Barbie, was Fleda's most grateful return. And summoning her aunt upstairs, she took her into her own room, and locked the door before she gave her the letter which Barbie's shrewdness and delicacy had taken such care 
should not reach its owner in a wrong way. Fleda watched her as her eye ran over the paper and caught it as it fell from her fingers. "'My dear wife, that villain Thorn has got a handle of me which he will not fail to use. You know it all, I suppose, by this time. It is true that in an evil hour, long ago, when greatly pressed, I did what I thought I should surely undo in a few days. The time never came. I don't know why he has let it lie so long. But he has taken it up now, and he will push it to the extreme.' There is but one thing left for me. I shall not see you again. The rascal would never let me rest, I know, in any spot that calls itself American ground. You will do better without me than with me. R. R. Fleda mused over the letter for several minutes, and then touched her aunt, who had fallen on a chair with her head sunk in her hands. "'What does he mean?' said Mrs. Rossiter, looking up with a perfectly colourless face. "'To leave the country?' "'Are you sure? Is that it?' said Mrs. Rossiter, rising and looking over the words again. "'He would do anything, Fleda.' "'That is what he means, Aunt Lucy. Don't you see? He says he could not be safe anywhere in America.' Mrs. Rossiter stood eyeing with intense eagerness for a minute or two the note in her niece's hand. "'Then he is gone, now that it is all settled, and we don't know where, and we can't get word to him.' Her cheek, which had a little brightened, became perfectly white again. "'He isn't gone yet. He can't be. He cannot have left Creechy till to-day. He will be in New York for several days yet, probably.' "'New York? It may be Boston.' "'No, he would be more likely to go to New York. I am sure he would. He is accustomed to it.' "'We might write to both places,' said poor Mrs. Rossiter. "'I will do it and send them off at once.' "'But he might not get the letters,' said Fleda thoughtfully. "'He might not dare to ask at the post-office.' His wife looked at that possibility, then wrung her hands. "'Oh, why didn't he give us a clue?' Fleda put an arm round her affectionately and stood thinking. Stood trembling, might as well be said, for she was too weak to be standing at all. "'What can we do, dear Fleda?' said Mrs. Rossiter, in great distress. "'Once out of New York we can get nothing to him.' "'If only he knew there is no need and that it is all over!' "'We must do everything, Aunt Lucy,' said Fleda thoughtfully, "'and I hope we shall succeed yet. "'We will write, but I think the most helpful other thing we could do "'would be to put advertisements in the newspapers. "'He would be very likely to see them.' "'Advertisements? But you couldn't. What would you put in?' "'Something that would catch his eye and nobody else's. "'That is easy, Aunt Lucy.' "'But there is nobody to put them in, Fleda.' You said Uncle Orrin was going to Boston. He wasn't going there till next week, but he was to be in Philadelphia a few days before that. The letter might miss him. Mr. Plumfield, couldn't he? But Fleda shook her head. Wouldn't do, Aunt Lucy. He would do all he could, but he don't know New York nor the papers. He wouldn't know how to manage it. He don't know Uncle Rolf. Shouldn't like to trust it to him. Who, then? There isn't a creature we could ask. Fleda laid her cheek to her poor aunt's and said, "'I'll do it.' "'But you must be in New York to do it, dear Fleda. You can't do it here.' "'I will go to New York.' "'When?' "'Tomorrow morning.' "'But, dear Fleda, you can't go alone. I can't let you, and you're not fit to go at all, my poor child.' And between conflicting feelings Mrs. Rossiter sat down and wept without measure. "'Listen, Aunt Lucy,' said Fleda, pressing a hand on her shoulder. "'Listen, and don't cry so.' I'll go and make it all right, if efforts can do it. 
I am not going alone. I'll get Seth to go with me, and I can sleep in the cars and rest nicely in the steamboat. I shall feel happy and well when I know that I am leaving you easier, and doing all that can be done to bring Uncle Rolf home. Leave me to manage, and don't say anything to Marian. It is one blessed thing that she need not know anything about all this. I shall feel better than if I were at home and had trusted this business to any other hands. You are the blessing of my life, said Mrs. Rossiter. Cheer up, and come down and let us have some tea, said Fleda, kissing her. I feel as if that would make me up a little, and then I'll write the letters. I shan't want but very little baggage. There'll be nothing to pack up. Philetus was sent up the hill with a note to Seth Plumfield, and brought home a favourable answer. Fleda thought as she went to rest that it was well the mind's strength could sometimes act independently of its servant the body. Hers felt so very shattered and unsubstantial. End of chapter 40